Well, we do wish you all a happy Christmas. Trust that whatever you're doing today, whether you're surrounded by a lot of people or you're just on your own, it'll be a very special time of reflection and thanksgiving for all that the Lord Jesus Christ means to you because he's your Lord and your Savior and your coming King. The message title, a quote of Mary's, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. This is based on Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 56. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke 1, 46. And I'll just give you a whirlwind review. On December 4th, we looked at the word of God under the question, how can it be? The Virgin Mary asked Gabriel, when told she would have a child without any relations, she said, how can this be? And we answered from the text, the answer to her question and the answer to our questions, how can this be, is that we have a big and a miracle working God. We have a big miracle working God. No one is bigger than God and no one can do the miracles that our God can do, amen? On December 11th, we looked at the heading, with God, nothing will be impossible. And we pointed out that that is a very true statement, but we have to theologically think about something. There may be some things, there are some things that are impossible for God in that he will not do anything contrary to his character, character uh, contrary to his word, or contrary to his plan. So for instance, God will never lie. It's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for God to fail. It's impossible for God to let anybody into heaven except through the finished work of his son, etc., on December 18th, last Lord's Day, we looked at the title, Blessed is She Who Believed. That was the statement that Elizabeth made to her cousin, Mary. Blessed is she who believed. And we noted that Mary was blessed among women, but not above women. That Mary was indeed blessed, as Elizabeth put it, among women, but she was not blessed to be above women. And we noted that all the blessings that cascaded down upon the Virgin Mary from heaven were subsequent to her faith. Be it, done, be it done to me according to your word, she said. And now we come to the final Christmas message in Luke 1 today. And it's based, as I said, on Luke 1, 46 to 56. And I'd like to read that with you. So please follow in your copy of God's word, Luke 1. 46 to 56. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has regarded the lowliest state of his maid servant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her, that is Elizabeth, about three months 
and returned to her house. I want us to see three things very quickly in these verses that I have read. Number one, I want you to see the timeless truth that was true the first Christmas and remains to be true this Christmas. The first truth, it is all about God, not any person. Christmas was all about God and not any person, and Christmas still is all about God and not any person. Second truth, timeless. Truth the first Christmas, still true this Christmas. It's all about the word, not our feelings. Christmas is all about the word of God, the scriptures, and not about our feelings. Third truth, true the first Christmas, still true today. The third truth, it's all about salvation and not veneration. Christmas was all about salvation to mankind and not the veneration of the virgin. And still today, Christmas is all about salvation being found in one and only the babe of Bethlehem, the savior of the cross and empty tomb, and not about venerating, worshiping the Virgin Mary. So let's take these one by one quickly. It's all about God, not any person. When you take the time to count the first person pronouns in the verses that I have read with you, that is my or me, first-person pronouns, when you count those up in the verses we have read, and you count up the ones specifically that refer to Mary, so Mary saying about me or Mary saying about my, you count five first-person pronouns in those verses to do with Mary, five. If you take the time by comparison to count up all the third-person pronouns when Mary prayed, the he and the his, which refer to Mary's God, you count 16 third-person pronouns in her Magnificat. Five times she used pronouns to refer to herself in the prayer, and 16 times her prayer references God. That ought to tell us something. It's all about God. It's not about a person. For Mary, it was all about God. It wasn't about herself. That's one of her most endearing qualities, I think. How about us? (laughs) How about us? What is our Christmas all about today? What will Christmas 2022 be all about today when we lay our heads on the pillows and we drift off to sleep tonight? What would Christmas Day 2022 be all about? And then if God spares life and doesn't come for the bride and body of Christ, the church first, what will December 26th, to 31 be all about, the time between Christmas Day and the end of this year. What will that be all about? Who will that be all about? You know, there were once two women who were finely dressed, dining in a very expensive restaurant. And at the end of their gourmet meals, they asked their waiter to bring them two slices of birthday cake, a candle on each slice. And the waiter said, Of course, which one of you is celebrating a birthday? One woman replied, it's not one of our birthdays, it's my son's third birthday. The waiter said, will he be joining you? She said, oh no, he would ruin everything. He's such a messy eater. Could it be that for some of us in the Bahamas, that's how we're treating Christmas. 
Give me two slices of birthday cake, a candle on each. I'm going to celebrate the birth of one I will not invite to the party. I trust not. It was all about a person and not about Mary. You know, it's so easy for all of us. So much of Christmas is beautiful tradition and things we are familiar with that we appreciate, that we love, and necessarily that's not wrong. But sometimes I know in my own life, maybe you can relate that baking and television movies and special shows and Christmas trees and tinsel and presents and carols and parades and family meals and football and Hallmark Channel and Santa all get invited to the Christmas party. But we marginalize the baby himself. We kind of miss the point. Mary... (laughs) knew what we all should know. It's all about God and not about any person. It's all about God and not in tradition. And so we move from the first point of this message, that it's all about God and not any person, to the second point, it's all about the word and not feelings. 46 to 55, verses 46 to 55 are what scholars and Bible students call Mary's Magnificat, her prayer, after she heard the message from the angel Gabriel. In Latin, Magnificat means magnifies. And so her prayer starts that way. My soul magnifies the Lord. And her prayer goes on to do just that. Her prayer to God magnified the Lord who sent the angel Gabriel to her. This prayer in verses 46 to 55 is called the Magnificat. It was Mary's song. It was Mary's prayer. It was Mary's canticle. It was Mary's worship. And Mary's Magnificat, verses 46 to 55 in our scriptures, it is full, full to the brim with Old Testament allusions and with Old Testament quotations. It alludes to God's law. It alludes to God's book of the Psalms. It alludes to the writings of the Old Testament prophets. Mary's mind and heart were clearly full of God's Old Testament word before Gabriel ever showed up to her. Probably one of the reasons in grace that God chose Mary to be the human mother of the Lord Jesus. Her mind, heart, and life was chock full of God's Old Testament scriptures before the angel Gabriel got to her, and then when the angel Gabriel shared that amazing message and she received it, be it done unto me as unto your word, the Old Testament allusions and prophets and law and quotations was full of the verses I have just read. Let me give you some examples, a partial sampling. All of these Old Testament texts are in or alluded to in her prayer. Ready? Ready? 1 Samuel 2, verses 1 to 10, Hannah's prayer for a child. Psalm 34, verses 2 and 3, David's call to humble and glad exaltation of God. Habakkuk 3, verse 18, the prophet rejoicing in God and in God's salvation. Psalm 138, verse 6, David's conclusion that God regards the lowly. Psalm 
Psalm 71, verse 19, the psalmist's observation of God's great works. Psalm 111, verse 9, the psalmist notes God's covenantal faithfulness. Genesis 17, verse 7, Abraham heard God's covenantal promise. Exodus 20, verse 6, God's promised mercy for those who keep obedience to God. Psalm 103, verse 17, David's marveling at God's everlasting mercy. All these Old Testament passages were either quoted in the Magnificat or alluded to in her prayer song. Those things were already in her mind as a teenager. Those things already formed the fabric of her worship life as a teenager. And so when Gabriel told her what was going to happen to her, and she said, be it done to me as according to your word, this is the word she was referring to, the passages in the Old Testament she loved, she believed, she anticipated. I go on. The Magnificat has more. Psalm 98, 1 the psalmist called to sing a new song to the Lord. Isaiah 41.8, Isaiah's report of Israel's special status with God. Psalm 98, verse 3, the psalmist praises God for his covenantal mercy for Israel and for his salvation for all the nations. Jeremiah 31, verse 3, Jeremiah's reminder of God's everlasting love for Israel. You know what I pray among other things, for myself. I pray that when life pokes me with something hard or unexpected, a challenge, a disappointment, that when life pokes me, that what will spill out of me in my mind, in my mouth, in my mind, is Scripture. That's what happened with Mary. You want to talk about your life going along its merry way with any thought of anything extraordinary happening and the angel Gabriel of all people appears to her and says she's going to be with child and not just any child. She's going to be with the son of God in her womb and she's not going to have any relations with a man to make this happen. That's a jolt. If you're carrying a cup of tea today from the kitchen to where you're going to sit down to enjoy it, and you maybe buck your toe on a piece of furniture and you kind of lunge a little bit, what spills out of the teacup? Tea. Not milk. Whatever's in the teacup comes out of the teacup when we're jostled, when it's jostled. I want Scripture to be in my life, heart, mind, such that when life jostles me, what comes out of me is God's Word. Because Christmas is all about God's word. It was for Mary, and may it be for us. Mary's Magnificat, Mary's song, Mary's prayer proves that she was dominated by God's Old Testament scripture. She must have had good parents. Parents, keep up with your kids. Show them your personal love for the Bible that they would catch their own personal love for the Bible. I don't know what's going to jostle me next, and I don't know what's going to jostle you next, but I know what God wants to do when each of us are jostled. He wants to bring his word to bear on the situation. He wants us to be Bible 
Bible-based, because when we're Bible-based, we're Christ-centered. So her feelings, Mary's feelings, were a distant second to her application of Scripture. And I realize with you this morning, Christmas Day morning together, I realize that Christmas evokes a lot of feelings in all of us. I realize that some of the feelings that are evoked at Christmas time for most of us are happy feelings, great memories, wonderful associations, special times. But I'm also aware, being a pastor as long as I have been, that there are probably people in the sound of my voice, when Christmas comes, the feelings they have aren't always happy. A marital breakup or a prodigal child, an abusive father, not enough material things to buy presents for your children, illness. Please know that the celebration of Christ's birth is more, much more, about the Word of God than about our feelings, be those feelings pleasant or be those feelings painful. And so it's amazing that when the time was for Mary, the teenager, to be emotional, when she must have had Niagara Falls feelings and emotions swelling in her heart and her mind, when the angel tells her she's going to be with child without, a, without any relations, his child's going to be the son of God, when all those emotions must have been flooding her, she burst out with Scripture. The volcano of her heart was Bible, <laughs> Old Testament. Beautiful. Feelings, her feelings were not her focus. Her God was her focus. Her feelings about herself did not dominate her. Worship dominated her. Her feelings about her amazing mission were not her response. Her amazement at God's advancement of his mission through her was her response. And so please hear me carefully that at Christmas and at every other time of the year as well, feelings make a good caboose for your train, but feelings make a lousy engine for your train. And if you do not want your life pulled along by the engine of your feelings, which fluctuate and change based on your circumstances, then you must saturate yourself, as must I, with the word of God that is unchanging. Because... At Christmas or any other time, feelings make a lousy engine, but a suitable caboose. A suitable engine for life are the facts of the Word of God that are unchanging. So far we've seen that Christmas is all about God and not a person. We've seen that Christmas is all about the Word and not any feelings. And third and last, it's all about salvation and not veneration. Christmas is all about salvation and veneration. Christmas was all about salvation when Mary first had the angel come to her, and Christmas is still all about salvation and not the veneration of Mary to this day. It is extremely important for us to notice in the Magnificat that Mary saw the promised baby Jesus as being God and as being her Savior. 
She understood the baby she would birth by the miracle of the incarnation, hypostatic union, was God. She realized that as she prayed. She also confessed that this God was her necessary Savior. That's very important for us to remember. You know well, and I have plenty of Roman Catholic friends that I love and appreciate, but you would know that the Roman Catholic Church today and through the year venerates the Virgin Mary. That is, it reveres the Virgin Mary. It makes images of the Virgin Mary and statues of the Virgin Mary. It searches all around the globe for relics to do with her. It bows down to her. The Roman Catholic Church, some make pilgrimages to where it is said that she has appeared. And the Roman Catholic Church prays to her. Why would this be? What does the Roman Catholic Church believe to be true about Mary? That they would do all of these things that I've just mentioned. Well, there's at least 10 things that the Roman Catholic Church believes about Mary. They believe that she is the mother of God. They believe she is the queen of heaven. They believe she herself was conceived without original sin. They believe that she was a perpetual virgin. They believe that she, was, she is the powerful intercessor to her son. They believe that she is a refuge that she is the advocate of sinners. They believe that she hears prayers. The Roman Catholic Church believes that she has a unique perspective on her son. And they believe she is a co-redemptrix, a mediatrix, Latin for she plays a unique role in a person's salvation. Maybe you knew those things or maybe you didn't. Do you remember John Paul, Pope John Paul II's funeral some years ago on the top of his simple casket as it was walked through the Vatican? On the lid of Pope John Paul's casket was a cross and right tucked into the cross where the horizontal and vertical beams of the cross met was the large letter M for Mary. We do see none of these things in the New Testament. We don't have to pray to Mary because Jesus is so busy for the prayers that we offer to him that we pray to Mary because she can get his ear where we can't because she is his mother. The New Testament doesn't teach that. Mary's song, her Magnificat, her prayer, starts with her statement that Christ is her God and her Savior. So, for Mary, the first Christmas was all about salvation and not about veneration. And that brings up three questions, logical questions, I think, to me. I hope they're logical to you. My first question is, wouldn't only a sinner need a Savior? She said, he's my Savior. Would that not imply that she knew that she was a sinner? Number two, how can someone who has a role in anyone else's redemption not have a role in their own redemption? Third, how can a person who has a role in their own salvation 
be the recipient of biblical grace and not a boaster in him or herself. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one will boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. So I'm not here to bash the Roman Catholic Church, but I am here to teach the incredible body of Christ assembled on Christmas morning that the scriptures teach wonderful things about Mary, but many of the things that are ascribed to Mary by some churches are not taught in the scriptures. Verses 46 and 47. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced, watch it, in God my Savior. It's all about salvation. It's not about veneration. And you say, well, I've never venerated Mary. That's not my problem. What about Santa Claus? Now I'm stepping on some toes. If we have venerated him over the Lord Jesus, we need to repent. Right? I'll leave that between you and God. Mary knew that the Christmas miracle was about salvation and not veneration. And because she knew that well, she worshiped Christ and she didn't expect anyone to worship her. And Christmas is all about salvation. Christmas is not, people say, Christmas is for kids. No, it isn't. I'm sorry. Christmas is for sinners. And the angel told the shepherds, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christmas is not for kids. Christmas is for sinners. Let me ask you. People are poking around the Middle East and land of Israel and the Mesopotamian basin and archaeologists and professional archaeologists and amateur archaeologists, people are digging and looking and searching all that area, all that piece of geography. What if one of them actually found the actual manger Christ was laid in? What if one of them found the actual swaddling clothes that Jesus was wrapped in? What if one of those archaeologists found one of the shepherds' actual staves that were audience to the angelic choir? What, if, what about that? What if they actually found the actual gold or the actual frankincense or the actual myrrh that the wise men gave to Jesus as a gift? What if any of those things were proven, attested to be actually what they were? Well, I would submit this morning that the finding of any of those actual things ought not to promote pilgrimages to where they were found, but they ought to promote Gratitude for the miracle of a Savior. Because he is far, far, far more important than a manger or swaddling cloths or a shepherd's crook or gold or frankincense or myrrh. When we have him, we have everything.
If we have nothing other than him, we have everything. If we have everything other than him, but we don't have him, we have nothing. I've probably officiated 300 funerals in my day, and either the deceased died having Christ and therefore having everything, or the deceased died without Christ and may have had everything material, but they had nothing. Oh, the riches of Christ. May we respond, even as the Virgin Mary did, as we've been studying this month, with obedience, submission, and surrender, with acknowledgement of his God, deity, acknowledgement of his Savior work for us as sinners. And may it spill over so that when your teacups are jostled in 2023, what comes out of those teacups is Jesus. And people say, that just happened to her. How come she's praising Jesus? Did you see what he lost? But he talks about Jesus. Oh, God, that is my prayer for me. May it be your prayer for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this last lesson from Luke chapter 1. We thank you for the precious uh, Virgin Mary who responded so beautifully, so worshipfully, so obediently, so surrendered to what Gabriel said to her. Thank you, Lord, that it could be possible for her because it's possible for us that we have a big and a miracle-working God. Thank you that nothing is impossible for you, God, when it's in alignment with your word, your character, your plan, and your purpose. Thank you that Mary was blessed among women but not above women and that her faith is what we are to take from her life. Thank you that today we share in seeing her Magnificat where she magnified you. May we magnify you as our teacups are jostled. May we magnify you. And thank you that her spirit rejoiced in God, her Savior. May our greatest joy be in our God, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and our Savior. And we pray in his holy and loving name. Amen.